Proudly coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Frontier Podcast. I'm your host, Ledge, and we are powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes and join the conversation at the Frontier Pod on Twitter. Giddy up! As companies move more and more workloads to the cloud, sometimes the number of new questions can seem to grow more quickly than the number of answers. In this episode, Ledge talks to Leon Thomas, CEO of Jellicos, about their AWS services practice, using it as a lens into the changing world of cloud, SecOps, compliance, and more. One interesting question, does it make sense to focus on one public cloud provider, or is it more prudent to spread your business around? Doing so might trade one type of risk, vendor lock-in, for another, overhead and complexity in staffing. Multi-cloud or not, the choice of tools continues to grow, with all the cultural and people implications you'd expect. Leon helps us to separate the signal from the noise. Can you give a quick background of you and your work, let the listeners get to know you a little bit? Yeah, so I'm CEO of Jellicos, an 18-year-old company headquartered in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, specializing in helping organizations leverage cloud-based technologies. Um, we've evolved quite a bit over the years, but uh, we, today we focus primarily on uh, AWS and helping companies both identify, uh, strategize, and, and migrate, optimize, and, and operate uh, workloads in AWS environments. So what's the primary industry focus? Is there one? I know Omaha's got a big financial services sort of infrastructure. Do you deal with a lot of the security and on-prem to cloud migration type stuff? Yeah, I wouldn't say that we have a specific vertical focus, um, but just the nature of our expertise in compliance puts us pretty squarely in that financial services market and healthcare market. Um, but we're quickly seeing you know, compliance requirements apply to almost every vertical in some capacity or another, whether that's ISO or you know, SOC type compliance uh, reports, um, you know, just kind of depends, PCI, HIPAA, um, anything compliance driven, there's a pretty strong demand for that right now in our world. Yeah, nobody wants to be the next uh, Equifax or whoever just released 50 million user records to the cloud. So I can appreciate the, the mandate for security. I'd imagine that going into the new year, that's just going to be just an exceptional focus. It must be a, a good time to be in compliance. Yeah, I think people uh, also look at the, you know, the, the shifting of workloads to the cloud as a, an, an opportunity to reevaluate how they're accomplishing security and, and subsequently compliance. There's you know, so many different ways to approach it that aren't available with your traditional on-prem IT that it creates sort of a natural inflection point to, to reevaluate. How did you make the determination to focus AWS versus Azure? Um, I mean, there's Google Cloud too, but you know, mostly on the enterprise side, we're seeing almost all Azure and AWS going to be in your small and mid-sized companies, you know, just a little bit more on the market penetration side. How are the, the customers choosing or how'd you choose to focus there? Yeah, really good question. And, and one we get often, uh, Ledge. So I'll kind of walk you through, you know, the reality of it is um, most of the concepts we're working with are, are applicable to all three of the major public cloud service providers, right? So there's not a lot that we talk about that is, is, um, you know, only specific to AWS outside of the, you know, maybe the individual services. Um, and even then you're probably blurring some lines. The, the reality of it was, 
you know, we've built our reputation on being really good at what we do. And when we looked at the three platforms, you know, probably four or five years ago, um, we knew going in that we, we had to pick, uh, um, pick a provider and, and develop a deep domain expertise with that provider. We didn't feel like we could do that across three different platforms simultaneously. Um, so when, when you take that approach and, you know, you want to put a, a that level of depth um, behind the expertise, I think um, it, it was a pretty easy decision at that point because AWS was so far ahead of the rest of the pack. And you know, clearly there's, um, there's good competition and, and, and that gap is closing a, a little bit, but from what we've seen, AWS continues to innovate and continues to grow rapidly. And we, we haven't had a, haven't had a need to really um, bring on any of those other providers in our, our services portfolio. Not to say that we won't in, in some time in the future, but um, you know, right now uh, AWS has, has, has been a great solution for us and for, for our clients. So we can continue to, to, to ride that horse. AWS reInvent just having happened, they're dropping eight, 10 new services. You know, I mean, it's hard to even keep track of all the things that you could do. I don't know what the service count is now, but it's, it's in the hundreds easily. Um, what are the hottest new ones and, you know, what should developers be paying attention to as far as, you know, competency around at least understanding what, what the options are in the stack and, you know, particularly from a, you know, DevOps and awareness perspective, you know, obviously there's serverless and there's, you know, all kinds of other uh, dedicated services. Uh, What do you see there? You know, what, what's, what's your advice for the developer set, you know, things to be aware of in order to work with, you know, the best clients out there? Yeah, I think so. We had a we had a good sized team out there, and, and several of our clients, uh, along with sixty thousand of our closest friends. Um, so it was certainly a, a, an announcement packed event, as it as it usually is. Um, you know, I think we're up to a total of over one hundred and forty five services. Um, so I think um, there were um, at least forty different feature enhancements on top of the new services that were all announced at reInvent. So it was a constant constant stream. Um, so sifting through the noise sometimes can be a little bit of a challenge. I think there are a couple of key things that that came out of it for for our clients and and our team. Um, on the maybe more infrastructure related side, um, Outpost was probably one of the the biggest announcements that they made, allowing you to run AWS uh, related services on prem. Um, so so that's not available till till Q3, so it's not quite here, but but that's going to be kind of a game changer as it relates to hybrid cloud architecture, um, as well as migration um, pathways. So there's there's some different um, implications for for that announcement that'll be pretty impactful to the industry. Um, you know, a couple of other ones key on the infrastructure side again. You know, the announcement of Deep Archive, which is a storage tier that's even lower cost than Glacier um, at you know essentially a dollar per terabyte per month. Uh, for archive data makes tape look pretty dumb right now. Um, and there's still a very large portion of the, the people that are, 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 are running tape for some of their archive workloads. Um, so that's another one. Intelligent tiering is another one that um, is a big deal on the infrastructure and storage side, um, you know, as it relates to, to what we do. On the more, you know, development-related side, I think, you know, p- pushing Lambda to the edge continues to be a really hot topic. Right now, and, and something that we're we're seeing some developing use cases, um, some other best practice around Lambda, um, you know, uh, layering and custom runtimes are are big things from a development standpoint in in, in our eyes. Um, you know, I think you've you've got 
um, continued improvements to the development tool set and to the CICD pipeline tool set um, that are going to make it a lot easier to do full CICD automation. Um, you know, additional support. Um, I already mentioned the custom runtimes on, on Lambda. Another real hot area that, that we saw a lot of movement was around um, you know, data lake with the new data lake formation service really simplifies that deployment, um, you know, as well as the improvements to SageMaker and just general machine learning uh, capabilities uh, across the board. Um, the ability to pull uh, some of the different um, machine learning models directly from marketplace changes the game for a lot of the, the data scientists that are out there and a lot of the uh, just analytics slash ML projects that, that people are able to get to with a, um, you know, a very, very low cost of entry or low barrier to entry compared to what it was even 12 or 18 months ago. And then finally, I'd say, you know, the, probably not an exhaustive list, but the other one that you know, is high on, on our list is just the, the general improvements to containerization and continued expansion, you know, of Kubernetes capabilities and, and, and just Fargate in general. So we see those as, as um, really good options for some of our clients that are doing application modernization. Um, and, you know, from you're looking at even cloud native development, but modernization tends to lend itself well to, to that. Yeah. Talk about application modernization. I think that's going to be a huge topic, particularly in the next two, three years, you know, where just, the opportunity becomes more ripe for legacy applications to go to the cloud. Now you have many enterprises that are probably going to be, you know, pretty excited about uh, containerizing .NET Core or things of, of that nature, running it on Linux containers, and it makes a lot of sense. Vast improvements in performance. Um, do you see a lot of legacy applications being rethought into, let's say, you know, the more modern JavaScript, maybe node-centric types of, of development patterns? Yeah, um, I mean, for all sorts of reasons. I mean, you know, we recently completed a project where there's a large-scale e-commerce environment that, you know, had developed a sort of an um, internal microservices architecture using more of a traditional, you know, monolithic stack. And the, the, the functionality was was spot on, but there was no way to scale that to the level that they needed uh, it, it to scale. I mean, it was, um, it was a long ways off, right? So, you know, moving that into, you know, more of a serverless architecture with sort of a, um, you know, a, a, a scalability pathway that a pattern that is, is pretty much automatic is it's a game changer for, for those guys and minimizes costs, uh, minimizes overhead maintenance and allows them to scale very, very rapidly and reduces all that overhead. Um, so we see that, um, you know, I think the other thing that, that comes about, even if you look at, you, you got your traditional monolithic, um, you know, tier three tier applications um, that have some really, really significant challenges in scaling that, you know, moving to um, more of a serverless architecture wherever possible within the application um, it allows you to decentralize some of those constraints and, and, and scale accordingly. Um, you know, the other thing we see is, is this whole concept of the right tool for, for, for the right job and, and getting away from uh, focusing on this a monolithic underlying commercial database where we can choose the, the right database for, for the job. Um, if you look at, uh, you know, mainframe and mid-range type systems modernization, I think you have to rethink, very clearly you have to rethink how that's done, you know, with 
Lambda, Lambda at the edge and custom runtime, you can now do that uh, a number of different ways. So, um, you know, as we look at organizations that are, are migrating legacy applications, you know, there's almost always going to be some refactoring that needs to be done. You know, the, you know, we, the AWS talks through this concept of minimal, minimum viable refactoring and, you know, that's making sure you're only investing where you're going to get a return, whether that return is you know, better performance or more better reliability or lower to total cost of operation. You know, I think the, the whole concept of simply rewriting the whole application is, is overkill, right? It's, it's, it's how do we do the least amount possible to get the most value and then move on to the next set of workloads. I've had it described to me by other tech leaders as pragmatic microservices, which I thought made a lot of sense, you know, just breaking yeah. it into, it's not the smallest chunk that you could ever possibly do. It's breaking it into meaningful chunks and then seeing which ones, you know, you need to hammer on and yeah. break down those into smaller chunks. Do you have any trouble convincing clients that, you know, this sort of ongoing work, this more lean experimental type of work is not the same as when we used to engineer a giant monolith and let it run for 25 years and got us into the problem in the first place. Like this is a constant thinking pattern and it really changes the culture of the organization as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And we generally don't have any trouble with the, um, with the actual decision to do the work because it becomes a very objective cost equation that is, okay, if we do this, it will cost you X and save you Y. So that part of it's pretty easy, but you don't even usually get to that conversation until you've, until the light bulb has gone on and you've, you've sort of broken through that cultural component of, you know, one of the things we tell organizations is we're, you know, we've been trained over our entire IT career to make three to five to seven year decisions. And, so we're, we're now forcing our, so we need to force ourselves and our organization into making three to five day or three to five week decisions. And you, you can now go do this. And if it works great, you do more of it. If it doesn't work, you shut it off and you take a step back and you've spent a dollar 20 and you, you know, you, you do something different. So, you know, to your point about the, the pragmatic microservices, it's very simple. It's very easy to, over-architect the microservices architecture, right? Especially when you're trying to replace a, a, or modernize a legacy application. You know, we recommend approaching it very iteratively and just, like you said, just hammering on the areas where you've got contention or the areas where you have you know, reliability or scale challenges just in general. So last question I love to ask everybody, you know, we're obviously in the business of you know, sourcing and evaluating and vetting, you know, very high end engineers. And we have a multi-tier, very extensive process for doing that. You know, it's hard to get on the bench and uh, yet, you know, we recognize that there are best practices all over the place. So every tech leader that I talk to, you know, I like to ask, you know, what are your heuristics for evaluating, you know, and finding the very most senior, excellent software engineers to bring on to your staff? So yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, like like any good services company, we have a number of different pipelines feeding in in terms of of talent from you know internship type opportunities all the way to you know very very senior candidates that we we look at, um, and we work with a number of different organizations to to get that done. Um, some of which take care of some of that you know that early evaluation process on our behalf. Um, others 
of which are more of a, a, a traditional model where we're we're handling um, you know all of that screening up up front. So the first thing we look at uh, is is business acumen um, because when you when you're looking at um, convincing slash helping organizations understand uh, what to move to cloud and and when and how to do it. It, it's no longer, this is no longer a subjective conversation. And I mentioned before, it's a, if you do this, you will save this or it will cost you this amount, right? Um, so regardless of your role uh, in our organization, it's really important that you understand the business impact of what you're asking or what you're doing uh, on on behalf of that, our client. Um, so that's where we start, Pledge. And, and from there, um, you know, obviously we have our team go through a pretty extensive vetting process. And, you know, we, we like to do situational conversations uh, around, you know, what, what would you do in this situation or what have you done even better in this situation? Um, so we look at certifications just like anyone else. They're important to us for a number of reasons. Uh, and we trust the AWS certification process. I mean, that the pro cert is not a, not an easy thing for people to get unless they've actually gone out and, and, and done the work. So we think there's, you know, some integrity in that that we can count on. Um, you know, and, and with our focus being AWS related consulting work that, you know, we, we hang our hat on that, that certification today. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's gotta be, you gotta have a business acumen and you've gotta be a good cultural fit, um, because we gotta work as a team and they're usually small teams and there's no room for the, the, the old school, um, sit in a corner and do my job and, and don't bug anybody, right? You've got to be able to look at the full stack and at least appreciate it for what it is, even if you are focused on one end or, or the other of the, of the stack. Um, you, you've got to understand the value of all the different layers. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, Head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.